Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this episode is with Elphaba herself, Talia Suskauer. She seems like a very old soul in a good way. She just has her junk together. You know what I mean? She knew what she wanted and she just went out and got it. It's kind of incredible that she went from being a kid to saying, I'm going to go to college and do this and I'm going to be this type of performer. And then bam, she's just been doing it. And this role as Alphaba is going to open up so many doors for her. And this is pretty much the very beginning of her career. I cannot wait to just continue to watch her and see her grow in this space. So everybody, uh, make sure you follow her and watch her blossom and grow. It's going to be incredible. Find me online on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok before you get going or while you're listening, leave a five-star review because, you know, why not? Be generous. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Talia Suskauer. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's guest is a Florida native who made her Broadway debut in Be More Chill and recently finished a long run in the Munchkinland national tour of Wicked as Elphaba. She's an avid pasta eater, a dog lover, is taller than you think she is, and is now defying gravity eight times a week as Elphaba in Wicked on Broadway. Talia Suskauer, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. <laughs> what kind of what kind of name is Suskauer? That is such a unique name. Yeah, so it's German, but my family itself is not we're not German. We are very much Jewish, but um, it it means sweet tooth. Someone married into our family and it means sweet tooth, which is actually really cool. Which is ironic and connects you even more to the Be More Chill family with Jason Sweet Tooth Williams. Absolutely. We definitely connected on that for sure. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Well, well speaking about Speaking of Joe Iconis, I, I sent him a message and I was like, I'm interviewing Talia. What's something fun you can tell me to talk about? Oh, God. And he said, he said, I met her at Penn State. She played Miss Asp in the Penn State production of Love and Hate Nation. And that's why uh, he called you in to audition for Be More Chill at the Signature. Mm -hmm. Because, and then in that production, your character had a whole song about cockroaches that got cut right before the first preview. And what he was saying about it was, you were totally cool with it as opposed to being wrecked that your big song was being cut and what any other student and most adults would still do. And he said that, oh man, this, this kid is the real deal. 
Oh, well, that's very nice. I remember that conversation well. Him and our director called me and they like, they were very serious and they were like, we have something to tell you. And I was nervous because I was like, am I bad? Like, am I getting fired? Like, you know what I mean? Like fired from a school production. And they just told me the song was good. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, I mean, that's what happens when you're working on new musicals, right? And things get cut all the time and added and cut in service of the show. And, and so I mean, I fully expected things like that to happen and, and you just can never take anything like that personally. Um, in fact, I, I think it meant that, okay, we the char- we were getting enough of the character and the scene work so that we didn't even need the song, which I think is, I think it's great. So yeah, was not pissed at all. I was actually really relieved that they weren't going to tell me I was doing a horrible job. So yeah. <laughs> That's a really interesting way of looking at a situation like that. Like I am so good at not this song that you just don't even need the song yeah i mean the song was kind of you know we say a lot in theater like a a hat on a hat and so we didn't need it because you were getting what the character's giving you from that song already in the scene so it was just kind of too much so yeah huh i'm gonna i want to remember this and apply it to alphaba later on but i want to Pause for a second on okay, the Elphaba convo and go back to uh, go back to, to to Little Talia in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Yeah, right? that's, that's where it. you grew up. That's the town. So when when did you get into theater? When was um, I guess what was your childhood like in terms of acting, performing, dancing, singing, all that jazz? Yeah. So um, my mom used to play a lot of cast recordings in the car for my sister and I, uh, which was really really great, and. Um, she used to play a lot of um, uh, Joseph and Phantom and Les Mis and Chess. And we would just belt them over and over and over again. And um, that, I think I, my way into theater was really through the music. I just loved singing that stuff in the car. And my mom took my sister and I once a year, starting when we were pretty young. I think I was like seven. Um, my sister was five to New York and we'd see a Broadway show and we do all kinds of fun New York things. And that was our little kind of window into Broadway from a very young age. So I was really, really lucky. And I was a very dramatic kid. I was kind of all over the place. And so immediately my parents were like, get, get her into drama classes and after school programs for theater. And I was really happy that they kind of saw that energy as an opportunity and uh, threw me in that way. And it was my escape. I loved it so much. So I guess from the very beginning, it was, I, I didn't, I don't think when you're five, you're like, this will be my career. But I think it was just my passion. And, and the thing that I love to do that growing up, I was validated by my parents and my teachers that you're actually good at this thing that you love and you should pursue it. For money. So, so then, <laughs> for money, which, or, happiness, or happiness, because one of the two probably isn't. They usually aren't at the same time. Correct. Um, the the uh, I guess then I think about my kids, my uh, six, almost six and seven and a half. That um, the two albums that that they like to listen to are the six original cast album uh, from London and um, the Greatest Showman soundtrack. Okay, I love so, that. So. So the greatest showman side note is the only uh, human movie, as they call it, not an animated movie, that they can watch beginning to end. I love that. 
a human movie. I'm going to start calling a it human. a human movie. <laughs> so you got animated movies and human movies. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, so now I think, especially my younger one, I think he uh, he kind of bounces off the walls. So I, I, I want to put him in like, but my older one likes singing more. Mm-hmm. So I'm sort of torn as to like maybe opera, operas for the older one and, and musical theaters for the younger one. Yeah, I think like, I mean, I just did like a little after school, you know, playtime, musical theatery, theater games type class. And it was just a total blast. It's just so fun. Well, so you were five then when when you started singing and performing and, and doing all this, I guess, in the car. But then um, were you... I, what age would you did you start like any sort of formal training or deciding that school was for you or even like you started in community theater? Yeah, I think... I mean, when I was in middle school, I started voice lessons before, like when I was in elementary school. But when I was in middle really? school... Yeah, yeah. When I was in middle school, we... Um, I went to a magnet school, so it was an audition. You had to audition to get in. It was a public school, but you just had to audition. And um, so I got in for theater and started doing plays in school. And in eighth grade, we did a very weird production of Big River for some reason. Like, why was that the show that we chose for eighth graders? But whatever, it was that's fun. odd. Very, oh, okay. very like a very weird choice, but went yeah. with it. And I, I absolutely loved it. And then from there. Uh, the natural progression, if you wanted to continue, there was a magnet arts high school um, in in South Florida that I went to called Dreyfus. And I auditioned to get in and got on the waiting list, did not get in initially for theater, um, but got on the waiting list and eventually got in and was there for my freshman and senior year. And it was that, it was at that point where I was like, oh, I'm taking this seriously and even perhaps more seriously than my classmates which let me know and my professors know like, okay, she's, this is what she wants. Like it would frustrate me when other people that, that like chose theater because they thought it would be easy maybe, but it's not easy. And I was just very, very passionate about every aspect of it. And, um, I, I think I started to get more serious about my training sophomore and junior year of high school and then pursued outside theater, activities and community theater and other children's theater and I just I could not get enough of it so if I wasn't rehearsing for the school play I was rehearsing for shows outside and um I didn't do any professional theater until I got into college and and my summers I spent at summer stock but I mean it was really the only option for me was was a career in this path so I I love people say summer stock I did summer stock and you know everyone's got their fun non-union summer stocks, summer stock stories. Absolutely. Uh, but it, it, it's it's like paying your dues, and it like when you're performing one show at night and rehearsing for the next one oh, during and the day. And don't forget, um, working in the costume shop is your tech duties, <laughs> and then rehearsing, and then performing, and then waking up and doing it all again, and having the most. I mean, it's it is paying your dues, but it's also like. The, it's like theater summer camp where you make seventy dollars a week. Like it's the most incredible thing. I did it. I did it in um, uh, Coldwater, Michigan, Tibbetts Dinner Theater, which I don't think exists anymore. Maybe it. Maybe it does. I. I I'm not sure. But um, they don't have cast housing, so they would get people in the local community to to offer up extra bedrooms. Uh-huh. And and my uh, I, I stayed with this wonderful family 
that I barely saw because of the schedule, right? And like they had two entrances on their house. It was like this giant U-shaped house. So they didn't went in one side and I had the other entrance to the spare bedroom. But they had these cats that would just poop in the hallway all the time. No. And it became it became so so affectionate to to me to like come home and smell the cat poop. What smell smell the cat poop. So <laughs> <clears throat> yay summer stock. Yay summer stock for sure. It was a great experience. Everyone needs to do it. Yeah, for sure. So then summer stock and eventually make it to Penn State. So at some point you are saying, this is what I want to do with my life. And I think I'm good enough to do it. Uh, and so a lot of people, I guess you were saying that, that you were taking it more seriously than possibly some of your peers. And I, I just wonder like what, what the community was like where you were at that point, because where I was in and where a lot of people were in community theater, they're like everybody's at sort of like a different echelon, and then there's somebody that's just like I I I gotta go, I gotta move to New York, I gotta do yeah. this. This is this is my calling. I think um, when I was in high school, uh, it was me and probably four other people in our in our theater program that were like in our musical theater program that we're like, we are taking this extraordinarily seriously and we, this is what we want to do. So I think I knew like midway through high school for sure. I was like, I will be going to college for musical theater in order to, to pursue a career in this. So eventually I auditioned for a lot of schools my senior year and got into Penn state and was choosing between a couple of places and Penn state really just felt like the right moment for me. It felt like the right move um, because it was, it's a really big school. And so I wasn't just going to be in this little theater cave. I was going to be doing other things and being in the middle of rural Pennsylvania and having an amazing college experience, which I did, but also got this kind of conservatory style, really intense training that I loved. Um, it also, Penn State's not like a cutthroat, kill your peers program. Like that's just not what it is. No one's really in competition with each other at all. It's very much like, let's help each other out because this stuff is hard. And so I think I was really validated before I made the decision to go to college for it. Um, I have um, an amazing mentor, Jennifer Yormack, who, whose theater I performed at. It, it was a children's theater. It still exists to this day. And um, her and my parents, who I trust implicitly and a few other people really were like, you can do this a hundred percent. You're going to do this and you're going to be good at it and you're going to succeed. And I was like, great. That is literally all I need to, to make this decision. And so off I went to college and, um, it was hard. They didn't really know what to do with me at first. Cause I'm just kind of this, I was this tall, big ball of energy and they didn't change me. They just took me and grounded me and molded me and, let me experiment with who I, with my identity as a performer and an artist. And I had the best time. And I think I really came out of school knowing who I was and who I wanted to be in this industry, which is great. Well, who do you want to be? And I know that's, that sounds like a hokey question, but you, like you said, uh, you said it, like, I, I guess, does it mean more about type of character or type of show? Or I guess explain that a little bit more because I'm, I'm always curious what that means for people. Yeah, I think that you can put a lot of people in a box um, in terms of type, which I hate. Um, and I think I want to be someone who kind of transcends type and just gravitates towards like projects and 
oh, her spirit would be really good in this. So I think she would bring a lot to this um, because of her unique skill set. And so I think I, I want to do a lot of new works. That's why I loved working with Joe Iconis because, you know, he just is always kind of brimming with new ideas and, and new things. And so working with him and getting my start in new works with him that way really inspired me. Um, so I want to do a lot of new works. I also want to do just a lot of, um, really inspiring things that people need to hear right now. Like Wicked is amazing because I feel like it's a story that is timeless and people can come back to it when they need it, um, in different parts of their life. So I think it's just, it's just an important story and I'm happy to be telling it. So I really want to be telling a lot of really important, vital stories, um, throughout my career. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. When did you first see Wicked? How old were you? Because it's, it's coming up on 20 years. Mm-hmm. I was nine. <laughs> and so that nine-year-old girl, were, did you think I'm going to be that? Or I don't think or, in the moment, I, w- I wish I could say that. I don't think that I did. I think I, I think I saw the show and was absolutely blown away by what I witnessed, especially seeing like two women leading it and... You know, it just was an incredible, it's an incredible spectacle and it holds up, which is wild, you know? Um, so I don't think I was like, I'm going to be her one day. I think I, I looked up and I craved the feeling of what I felt when I was watching it. And I think I, I've been just trying to chase that forever, you know? So is Wicked then one of those touchstones, those turning points when like it sticks out in your mind of like, this was the show, but well, this is one of the shows that made me pursue this that solidified oh certainly uh, what you wanted to be certainly i especially because <clears throat> before i saw it i was in this like after school musical theater class in like someone's basement and um a girl walked in with the vocal selections of wicked like i have this new musical like here like the songs from this new musical called wicked and new, yeah at right at the time and um so, and she had, uh, she sang popular that day in class. And I was like, what is, this is cool. This is great. What's going on here. And I remember, I think I asked my mom for that same vocal selections book and then the cast album and we started listening to it. And so I think, I mean, from that moment on, I was like, this is really cool. I, it's so crazy. Cause I still remember that. I remember that exact day. I remember who it was. And I remember the feeling of it being new. And I still, and now it's not new anymore. It's one of the oldest shows we have on Broadway. So it's, that's that's absolutely wild to me. Fifth longest running show on Broadway, I believe. Yeah. Um, So I believe you graduated 2018, right? Mm -hmm. So graduated Penn State 2018, then went on tour in 2019. So you just got thrust into this right out of the gate. And yeah. I, I mean, what? Well, of course, you were doing uh, be more. There was be more chill in there at some point. I actually mm-hmm. don't know the timeline around that. I can tell you if you want. Yeah, pl- please. The, ti- the timeline is 
I graduated college in May of 2018. And in the last week before I graduated, I got an email or I went in for an appointment the week before that into the city, did the Be More Chill, all the material for them, left, didn't think anything of it. This was to be the uh, offstage swing, female swing for the off-Broadway production. Mm-hmm. And the week before I graduated, we were in the city post our showcase. And um, I got an email because I didn't have an agent yet that was just telling me that I booked it, an email. And I was like, that's great. That's awesome. All right, here we go. And so at that point, I didn't know when I was going to move to the city, but that solidified me moving to the city that summer pretty immediately. So I moved. It was so grateful to have a reason to move and a job that started pretty immediately. And so from July to September, I was in Be More Chill. And in, I think, late August or early September, they told us that we'd be moving to Broadway, which is crazy. I will never forget it. It was just unexpected and wild. So I had from September to January off, which was cool. I could kind of just chill knowing I had like a big Broadway job coming up and I had a great time. And then we started rehearsals for Broadway in January, which was really difficult and fun and a huge challenge for me because the show changed a lot. So as a swing, I had to kind of take what I know and remember it, but also forget it. And it was, it was wild. And then we opened on Broadway in March and we ran Uh, a nice little six month run, I believe until August. And we closed, I think August. Oh man, I forget the day. Sixth, eighth, I forget. And um, that week I went in though, our closing week, I went in for um, an audition for Wicked, my very first one to, to be the uh, replacement for Alpha Bond tour. Um, And I remember it being a quick turnaround, like two weeks and I'd have to leave. And I auditioned, didn't hear anything. Um, like a week later, I heard that I was going in for a final callback, did that. And then a couple of days later, they told me I was going out onto tour. I'd have to have to leave and, and you know, get on out there to California wow. where we started. So, yeah. So when I opened in Wicked September of 2019. Wow. that That is so lucky and so fortunate. Yes. It's, yeah. And... So the, the first audition, when you go in then initially, do you sing from Wicked or uh, you sing your own stuff and then final callback is like, can you defy gravity? Yeah. So how it works with audition appointments for most things, especially for Wicked, is that you don't ever go in for an open call and for Alphaba and sing like whatever you want. It's always um, a smaller pool of people that I get called in. And um, it's, uh, uh, we call it the... Um, the callback material or um, mm-hmm. the packet, the alpha packet. And so in it, there's Define Gravity, the end of Define Gravity, the end of The Wizard and I, and um, I'm not that girl in a few scenes. And that's it. And that's it, I say. Um, <laughs> it's a lot. Only the hardest parts of the show. It's, it's all right. Yep, literally. Um, and so I went in there and, and did two songs from the packet and I think one or two scenes and the first time and then the second time I went in, I did each of the songs like three times. And I think that was probably for stamina to see if I could do it. And mm-hmm. then I did um, the scenes a few times as well. And that one, that audition lasted a lot longer. But yeah. Well, it's it's an, an iconic role that is history making for most people. I mean, I, pretty much everybody who has been an Alphaba 
it, it opens so many doors. And because it's such a difficult role to do eight yeah. times a week. It is. So do you, do you find that, uh, I guess it's like any, any muscle that you keep flexing, you get used to it, right? But when you first started um, going out, were you like, this is, this is so, so much harder than I had anticipated? Or were you, were you like, do you do physical training to get ready for this kind of thing? Yeah, I think my journey with it and preparing for the role has changed a lot because I've done it for a long, a longish time now. Um, so I didn't have time to prepare for it when I first started. I literally just, they told me I got it. And the next week I was on a plane, like that was that quick. Wow. And so I was freaking out because I know that I know how hard this part is. I'm not an idiot. Like I've seen what it has done to certain women. And I just, I did, I don't want, I didn't want this to be like the beginning and end of my career. Um, so I was really nervous, like vocally and physically, will I be able to do this? And I got out there and my music, I said to my music director in our first rehearsal, I said, I think they've made a mistake. And he goes, they didn't, Wicked doesn't make any mistakes. You're going to be fine. You're here for a reason. You're going to do well. And so I think as I started to do the show, you kind of learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you. It's trial and error. I mean, it's a given that you have to take care of yourself and kind of, if you have, I never had a party lifestyle anyway, but like you just maybe instead of going out to eat on your nights off, just stay in or, you know, just have one less drink or hydrate constantly, constantly have a drink in your hand. Um, I think what I found that I needed was um, physical training to maintain my body because my things, when you start doing things in a repeated fashion, like you start, you start doing these repetitive movements over and over and over again in the show, these movement patterns have an effect on your body. And so I started to have some hip issues and some knee problems. And I think it was a result of me not having a good foundation or strength training core. And so, um, when I, when we broke for the pandemic, when everything shut down, um, after a few months of depression, I got off my butt and got into the gym and was like, if we're going back and doing this again, I need to really be in, in amazing shape. And so I started working with a trainer and three times a week just started strength training. And the difference that it made when I came back to work in terms of my mobility and, and things that I was able to accomplish and, and feel like I wasn't hurting constantly. I mean, it was drastic. And so now, um, the hard part about that on tour is that you can't really work with someone in every different city, right? You kind of just have to do it yourself. But now that I'm doing this on Broadway and in New York, I'm working with the same person twice a week and, you know, living in my own home. And I'm feeling like I'm really strong in my body in the show and it's making a huge difference. Well, the the stage on Broadway is raked, right? Yes, and, it is. Which means it's angled, facing the audience. And then on tour, do they install a rake stage too, or is it flat? No, it's completely flat. And you were having hip hip, hip issues even on a flat stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of I wear I wear knee pads the entire show, so you know I was going down to my knees and up and constantly, and the running was crazy. And honestly, I think I'd have a lot of problems right now on this rigged stage had I not started strength training. I know I would have because I was, I was still petrified coming here because you to change like 
when your body is standing on a hill constantly and mm-hmm. you're standing sideways and diagonally, your hips are at all different angles and levels and you're not our bodies aren't supposed to to work like this your back's out of alignment yeah your back's out of alignment your center is off and you have to completely adjust and so i felt really happy starting this show and feeling like really good doing it because i do have such a strong core now and such a strong um center that wherever i am i i know i have myself because i built it up I want to go back to something you you sort of glossed over. It's okay to dive into this a little bit. You mentioned depression um, when pandemic hit. And and I don't know if you were just using hyperbole because the whole industry just freaking shut down and we didn't know what we were doing. But um, is is this... I, I ask people sometimes like... What is it about theater, musical theater, chosen family, finding your tribe, et cetera, et cetera, what, that, that really draws people to it? And a lot of it is, is that when you do suffer from depression or you do suffer from like even social anxiety to an extent, that there, uh, there is comfort and there's um, a lot of solace and catharsis in being told what to say, where to walk, what to do, and having this family that accepts you no matter what. I... It was not hyperbole. I was definitely very, very depressed during the pandemic. I, I felt like this purpose that I had for my entire life, we talked about from the beginning, was stripped away from me. And I didn't know who I was without performing and being able to to perform for people and perform with this family, with my family, you know? And so I I literally would wake up, sit on the couch watch TV, eat, and then be there until the evening and then go to sleep. And like, it got to the point where my boyfriend at the time and my mom like sat me down and they were like, we don't recognize you right now. We don't know who you are. Like you need to find some happiness and purpose in in other things. Because at that point it was like the summer of 2020 and there was no end in sight. And so Mm -hmm. we had to, I had to find a way to get out of what I was going through because you can't live like that forever. And if we aren't coming back to the stage for a long time or maybe ever, which was a thought in my brain, then, you know, you have to find another purpose. And so, you know, I started caring about myself again and and putting in work and doing other things that brought me joy, trying to and getting out and seeing nature and seeing the world, the world of Florida, where I was living with my family, so we couldn't really go anywhere. Oh, you were you went back to Florida? Oh yeah, this time. I got rid of my apartment here and just went home because I couldn't afford it, you know. Um, so I was lucky to go back home. Um, but I think the thing that was the most heartbreaking about all of it is that you know, in times of all these trials and tribulations, and when things have gone terribly wrong in our world we've always been able to turn to theater and go to go to the theater and, and, and escape. And it was an, it's an escape for the artists and for the audience. And this was like the first time pretty much ever that we weren't able to do that. And that was heartbreaking to not be able to provide that for people, but also not to experience that catharsis for myself. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, it was, it was rough for a while, but I was, able to be a part of the reopening cast for they brought us all back for um the tour and we were the first tour or broadway caliber show to reopen in the entire country 
mm-hmm. which I was remember. huge and historical. And I will literally never forget the feeling of being back and, and like opening the door to the theater in Dallas for the first time. We're coming up on a year, that, that a year of reopening, which is really cool. But oh, I think a year next week we will have reopened, which is wild. But wow, I will never forget walking into the theater for the first time and seeing, seeing it and just being like, oh my God, we have not been in a theater for a year and a half. This is amazing. And we all walked in in our masks and the crew was in the, in the lobby of the theater and everyone just started clapping and cheering with each other. And it literally brings me to tears every time I think about it because it was so special. So, oh, yeah. The, when did you, when did you find out that, uh, that you were going to go back and was there, was there like a, a, a re-rehearsal process or did mm-hmm. you show up and like just do the tech in, in Dallas? Yeah. So when the pandemic started, we kept, you know, hearing from our, our producers and our, and everyone, they were like, okay, it'll be a month. It'll be two months. Okay. We're thinking three months. And then eventually we stopped hearing and Mm. we kind of went about our lives. And then finally, finally, when the vaccine started being rolled out in like January or February, we heard whispers of June or July. And that was the first time where I was like, I think this is going to happen. And I really resisted like uh, letting myself believe that because I had for so many months initially that it broke my heart. Like I would sit in the car and sing, sing the songs to myself to keep myself in shape when we first went, when we first broke for the pandemic. And eventually I stopped singing altogether. And so in January and February, I was like, I'm going to start singing again. And so I started Zoom voice lessons with my voice teacher and I started getting on the treadmill and running and singing and then we got official word, I think in like March or April, and then flights were booked. And I was like, no takes backs. We're, we're doing it. <laughs> no takes these backsies. No, no takes these backsies. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. And we got there. I still, I could, I wouldn't believe it till I, I got there. And we got there in June or July, I forget. And we had July, we had like a three or four week rehearsal process with the original creative team. They all came back and we put up Wicked like it was the first time. And really? it was so cool. Lighting designers, sets, like everyone came back everyone who could came back to the show and put it up because those people haven't been working either. And, you know, we had to re-rehearse because it was a year and a half. So things were changed a little bit. Things were up. To, it was just, it was, a, it was an unforgettable experience. I was going to ask about what had changed because I, when I saw it, I saw the show about two months ago, month and a half ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it a couple times. I think the first time was almost 15 years ago or something. And I remember in the back of my mind somewhere that it used to open with with the the feet and the striped socks, right? The witch's feet coming. Or am I totally making this up, dreaming this? I think so. Of, unless you saw like really? a pre- unless you saw like one of the initial previews of the show. I don't think I don't yeah. Because who I was who I went to see it with said the same thing and that's what made me think, "Oh, I wasn't dreaming this." Because I thought it used to, maybe I'm just 
interpolating mm-hmm. or ext- extrapolating my memories from the actual <laughs> movie from the Wizard of Oz. But anyway, um, so what what got updated? Are you allowed to say what changed? Yeah, or what I got mean, updated? Uh, it won't really make sense to like the average, just tiny, tiny little things like spatially, some lighting stuff, like no, nothing plot story, um, set, like nothing serious, no script changes, nothing like that. Just like tiny, tiny, tiny little things here and there to just freshen it up. And, you know, the original director came back and was like, why did I do that here? Let's change it up. Like, let's, you know, which I think is really cool to be able to come back to something you did 20 years ago and be like, I'd like to see this a different way, potentially. So that, yeah, that's that's interesting because it, it, the story itself is timeless, and I I feel like technology in the theater has changed so much, right, mm-hmm. in the last twenty years. Because I I don't even think projections used to be a thing when the show opened. So they were, but they were they. What's cool about Wicked is that they have completely like. Every few years, I believe, they come back and they redo the projections because the technology keeps getting better. Yeah. 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 That's that's amazing. And I, I love that they're accentuating the core story, right? So the story is there. The story is timeless. The story is what draws people back. But then they're keeping it up to date with with technology so that I guess it's, it's on par with everything else that's brand new that's opening because... Yeah. There is always somebody, there's always probably the majority of the crowd that's seeing it for the first time every single show. Which is amazing. And it's also amazing that we're sold out almost every night too, like 20 years later. And what was cool on tour as well is that this rank, that rang true, especially on tour, because we're bringing these to sometimes new markets that have, we've, that Wicked has never been to before. That's rare for Wicked, but like I got to play two new markets with the show that the show has never been to. The excitement to have this show in town, like in these small towns across America, it's like anything you'd ever see. Like it's like a celebrity is rolling into town. These people had been waiting for this. And some of these these folks cannot get to New York. It's so expensive. They can't afford a Broadway, you know, priced ticket. Mm-hmm. And so being able to bring Broadway, especially Wicked, to people on tour was an immense honor because most of them were seeing it for the first time. And this is after years of hearing these songs. Mm-hmm. And so the gratitude from the audience, like it just, it was amazing. And then the first show in a city that had never, we'd never been to before was always different than the last show. Because by the time the last show rolled around a few weeks later, we had a repeat people. These are people that came on the first night and said, I have to see this five more times while it's here. And so like, the last show in every city was always raucous because people were just so happy to be seeing it again and again and again and didn't want us to leave, you know? But yeah, I mean, here it's a good mix of tourists and people that have seen it before and also people that are bringing their kids for the first time on New York trips, like my mom, you know? So it's it's very, very cool. That's that's really cool. I, I love that. Um you mentioned that you know people have been listening to the the cast album for years, and then you show up to a show as someone who's never actually seen it before, and you've got Kristen Chenoweth and Adina in your head. And so when you have you did you talk to other Elphabas about stepping into the role of Elphaba, and you're like, listen, how do I live up to this? There's there's expectations. What do I do? Help me, yeah. help me, because 
like what was that what was that all like i guess first going into the tour but then was it easier or harder or no different to actually make the transition to broadway the thing i say about this is that and yes there's a green girl sisterhood i know a bunch of the other elphabas they're all gems they've all been through it like i have and so no pun intended <laughs> that is Gem, true. gems yes yes <laughs> um and it's just it's really cool to have them um, as people to trust and go to and, and commiserate with and confide in. And I, it was a fear at first. It's like, will I not be able to live up to what people are hearing on the soundtrack? And I think that what's so cool and my favorite thing about playing Alphaba is that so many women have played this part at this point across the world. So and every one of them is unique and different. We None of us can be Adina Menzel. None of us want to be Adina Menzel. There's already Adina Menzel, right? So it's like, I can only bring my uniqueness, my personal uniqueness to the show. And and that has to be enough. And so, and I think people have different tastes, like with anything, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And I'm so okay with that. But the fact that I'm able to kind of step into the strength of every woman that has played this part before me, is it's an immense honor. So I love it. Also, another cool fact about Wicked, is that when you first go into the show, it takes them a while to build these costumes. So you're not going to have your mm-hmm. own costumes right away. So you get to wear another Alphabet's costumes, <laughs> um, which is really cool because it's like, great. I know that the person that has worn these before me has done this. They've gotten through it. Like I'm going to get through it. And they've, you know, sometimes the three hours ahead of you feel daunting and they feel like an insurmountable climb. But the person that has worn this before me has done it. And so I'm going to be able to do it. How long does it take to get the makeup on? The green paint? So um, uh, the makeup artist can get me ready. Can get an alphabet ready, I should say, in like seven minutes if they have to. Do like a witch switch really? in, the middle of the sh- in the middle of the show. for se- Yeah, like they can do it that fast if like, you know, there's, there's a mid-show call out or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we work with some really talented people, but normally it's like 15 minutes to 20 minutes. It's very quick. Oh, I, I don't know. I guess you see all the behind the scenes of like, you know, these big Marvel movies where they're like, I sat in the makeup chair for eight hours every day and yeah. we got on set for 24 hours every well, day. Well, the difference between that and this is that that is so like, no one is zooming up on my face like they are in, you know, on a, on a film set. And so this, I will say though, if you did zoom in on my face, the makeup is so precise and beautiful. It looks like my skin. It really does. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, theater makeup is something special because it can happen like that. It really can. And so, I mean, it's my favorite part of the day because, you know, normally you have to put yourself in makeup and that's a whole other part of your process, but I get to literally be transformed into my character and watch it happen and just sit there, you know? which is cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. I, I've i never been able to to do the whole prosthesis thing. It's always been like a, a bucket list thing of mine to have like yeah. a monster head made or something <laughs> or just, you know, something very, very cool like that. Right. Um, but no, we, uh, we uh, you didn't answer the the part, the second part of my previous question and I have a habit of asking multi-part questions. Oh, so my fault. Yeah. But the, the transition from tour to Broadway, uh, was, was that any different was it expected what in i guess like the the stage was raked so that's mm-hmm. something that had you had to get used to um but in terms of 
the size of the house or whatnot. Yeah. So, I mean, thank goodness. I say this to myself every day that I did the tour because there is no better boot camp for doing the tour for, or for doing Broadway than doing the tour. I already knew what a beast this role was and the show was. So I take everything else out of it. I know how to get through the show and I know how to pace myself and I know how to do it healthfully. Great. So the differences between Broadway and tour, we're playing houses that are as big as 4,500 seats on tour. That's pretty yeah, big. Huge. Huge. The Gershwin is the largest theater on Broadway, but it's only like, what, 1,500? I don't, I'm, I should know this, but it's really, it's not big. So this is actually the smallest house that I've ever played Wicked in, which is very cool. Um, so there's that. Um, there's a level of, of consistency on Broadway that you don't get on tour. I get a different dresser in every city on tour and um, different backstage in every city, different dressing room in every city. You know, the at, the climate is different in every theater. If it's moldy or if it's new, you know, you're having to deal with all of these elements. I go to one place every day now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. On tour, we don't have a trap door like we do on Broadway. There's a lot of entrances from different trap doors on Broadway that we do on mm-hmm. tour. Uh, and then we don't have that on tour. So there's a lot of extra running downstairs that I have to do on Broadway and up. We have a on stage uh, right. We have an on stage staircase. So I have to run up it off stage and come down on stage. And so we don't have that on tour. It's just a on and off stage very quick. So a ton of extra running. So the cardio that I'm doing is absolutely insane on Broadway. And um, yeah, I mean, I, and then the rake, of course, those are the biggest differences, but I felt so well prepared coming here, having put in pretty much a year altogether on tour playing the role. Would you, would, do you think you would go out on tour again? I know tour life is so hard. It, you hear it all the time. It's, it's once you have a consistent Broadway gig, so many people mm-hmm. are like, I don't want to go out on tour again. I loved touring. I loved it so much. It would have to be a very specific tour, um, touring experience. Like I, I couldn't do one nighters. I'm too spoiled from the wicked tour. It was too good. Um, we were in <laughs> the shortest we were in a place was two weeks, you know? So that's like the size of a nice long vacation somewhere. So, um, sometimes the nice long vacation was in like, Columbia, South Carolina, but still it was two weeks in a place. You're not doing bus and truck. You're not doing one nighters. And so I think, um, it would have to be a very specific scenario, but I loved touring. I loved it so much. I loved the change in scenery every once in a while. And I loved exploring these places that like, I might not ever go to again or have had experienced otherwise, you know, like, when will I go to Little Rock, Arkansas again? I'm not sure. <laughs> Glad I had three weeks there to experience it. But, you know, so, yes, the, the answer is yes. I loved it. I'd do it again. Awesome. Awesome. And you have to bring your dog with you this time, though. Oh, my God. I don't think my parents would let me. I wish. Oh, really? No, it's it's like our family dog. But I, I mean, he also just is such a little homebody. He just, he would hate to... Uh, Hate to hate to travel like that. <laughs> oh, all right. So let's wrap up here with three questions that I ask everyone to end the episodes. The first one just simply is what motivates you. Um, I think wanting to make 
myself and my family proud, mostly my family. They've sacrificed everything for me. And um, I just want to to show them that it was all worth it. I think they know now. You, you, I hope. I hope so. I will never stop you, trying to impress them. So. You've done pretty good. You've <laughs> done pretty good down there. All right. So what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Um, don't let anyone try to put you in a box or tell you who you are. Um, your uniqueness is what makes you you. And everything that makes you different makes you really special. And that's it. Most important thing. Yeah. So you're you're five nine. That probably makes it hard to be cast against other shorter people in Yeah, it's either it's either you you want me or you don't. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. I'm not gonna fall in the mid in the middle. And I used yeah. to um I had a teacher that uh, I wore flats in college for an audition. Um, flat shoes. And she goes, why are you wearing flats? And I said, because I don't want to seem like as tall. You know, I just want to make myself seem kind of more average. And she goes, don't you ever do that again. And that was the last time I tried to like shrink myself down in an audition. Oh, yeah. that's a good teacher. Mm -hmm. Don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever. All right. Last question. Hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your <sighs> life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh my God. Why are you doing this to me? Ragtime. Oh, okay. My favorite All right. musical. All right. Where can we find you online? You can find me at at Talia Suscour on Instagram and at um, Talia R-A-C-H, which is short for Rachel. It's my middle name on Twitter. Rachel is such a, a not... But I was going to say not exotic name. I mean, yeah. maybe it is in some culture. It's kind of normal. Exotic. Suscour is exotic and Rachel is just, I guess you got to balance it out. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. It's, it's, an, it's, a nice, it's a nice sandwich. It's a friend's <laughs> name sandwich. Sure. Okay. <laughs> you can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. Tell everyone how much you love Talia. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Music by Jukebox the Ghost. Talia, thank you so much. I thank had so you. much fun. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.